Let's pray and then get started. i got a long ways to go. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your love for us tonight. We thank you for your ability to change us into the image that we behold. We thank you for looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and us looking like and acting like Jesus in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen, amen and amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We're going to do three stages of change, part two. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness. Oh, that's not Romans 12.2. 12.2. I want to quote it. And don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's desire for you and I is transformation. And I just want to do a recap for people who weren't here the Sunday I spoke. There are three stages of change. The first stage is information. You, if you're going to change, it's, you're going to need new information. And information is important. Our, our changing is about information and knowing God. This, this is eternal life, that you would know God. That piece of information has the power to change some things in your life. But information alone is not enough. Information is your gas gauge saying, you're going on empty. That's information. But what's going to happen if you don't put gas in your car? You're going to walk because the information isn't enough. So let's say your gas gauge says empty, and then you start feeling that beating of your heart. That's inspiration. (laughs) That's the second stage of change. You're inspired. You're stirred to action. But inspiration alone is nothing more than a New Year's resolution. And we're coming up on that thing, and we're going to see people buy treadmills and ellipticals, and three months later, they're going to have clothes hanging on it, because we're inspired, but inspiration is not enough. You may get anxious and worried with the gas gauge being unempty, but if it doesn't lead to action, you're going to walk. Transformation is making sure your vehicle is always half full. Thank you for your thunderous applause. It, it costs as much to keep your truck half full as it does on empty. You're going to have to pay. And, and transformation is not spending your life worried about running out of gas. It's being transformed so that you do something different. And we shared this idea that we live in a culture that's it's the information age, and we have all kinds of inspiration. We have Google and YouTube. And I I hear it every day. Hey, you need to watch this. Man, this is awesome. We're we're people who are sold out on inspiration. And I've looked at the body of Christ, and we've got all kinds of people speaking into us, and we're inspired by their messages. But the goal of God is not for you to be inspired. The goal of God is for you to be transformed. And I'm looking at the body of Christ, and I'm seeing there's not enough real transformation So tonight, I want to take it one step further, and I want to give you the key to transformation. Because it's not enough for me to tell you the goal of God is transformation without telling you how to be transformed. The key to transformation is not a miracle. That's what we're hoping for. That's really what we want. We are a people who want everything right now. If we go to McDonald's and it takes more than five minutes, we're upset. If you go to the hospital and the automatic door opener doesn't open at your pace of walk, you get mad because you have to wait a second 
for the door to open. We want to eat what we want, but take a pill and have a body like Arnold Schwarzenegger. The key to transformation is not a miracle like you would expect, even though it is a miracle, and I'll show that to you in a minute. The key to transformation is discipline. Thank you for your wondrous applause. See, we, we love that. The, the key to a decent body is exercising and eating right. We all love that. We're all encouraged by it. Yeah, I'm already going to go do that after I eat this ice cream and have my chocolate shake. The key to transformation are habits and discipline. Turn with me to James chapter 1. We read this during the message, and this is where I was wanting to go. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. What's able to save your souls? The implanted word. It's got to get in you. Your heart is the ground. The seed has to get in your heart, or it just stays unable to be fruitful. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, say not a doer. He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Here's the key. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The key word there is, and continues in it. How many of you remember when you first got saved? And you were excited about the word of God. I mean, you were like an insatiable desire for the word. You were reading at night, late into the night. You'd fall asleep reading the word of God. You'd get up and want to read some more. And then somewhere along the line, we start new habits where we stop reading, and we forget that we are doers, and we become hearers only. It is the doing of a thing over and over and over and over again that causes transformation. And that's why we don't see a lot of it in the body of Christ, because we're consumer Christians, We go when they have what we want, and when they don't have what we want, we don't go. And when they make us feel good, we go, but when they call us to discipline, we're like, I'm going to go someplace else. Because none of us like discipline. None of us like the idea of doing a thing over and over and over again. But transformation is when you do what's right in the mundane and the monotony. It's doing the right thing when you don't feel like it. You you know why they call it a sacrifice of praise? It's because you don't feel like it. All of us, we can come and we can worship, and we enjoy worship when things are going well, but have you ever come and not wanted to worship? That's when you need to worship the most. But see, if you get in the habit of that, it has the ability to transform your life. Now, I'm going to get into some scientific things, but I don't want to wear you out. There's, There's scientific reasons we have the habits that we have. And the truth of the matter is, 
you do more things out of habit today than you do out of choosing. A lot of things you have done today, you have done for so long, you don't even think about it. Like putting toothpaste on your toothbrush. You've done that so often, you don't even think about it. Your brain goes into idle when you do that. You're not really having to think. Of, you don't have to think about breathing. You just breathe. Your brain has to make that happen, but it's done it so often, it doesn't even think about it. We all have habits, and many of the things you did today, you think you chose, but really, it was just more of an ingrained habit. I like to call it a synapsis rut. Because in your brain, you have thousands upon thousands of synapsis connections going on all the time. We're just now beginning to semi-understand the brain and how it works and how these connections happen. But you have habits that are literally a synapsis rut. It is the way you have gone so long that it's the easy route. Have you ever driven on a road that had a rut? If you're not careful, you'll drift into the rut. You might not want to go there, but the rut has a tendency to pull you into it if you're not intentional about not doing that. The way you stay out of the rut is you create a new path. Have you ever seen that on a road where there's a rut and then you can see where people have gone off the road a little bit to get? That's intentional. But if you take that route long enough, guess what happens? You create another rut. That's exactly how you get out of a bad habit. You create a new habit, a new synapsis connection. And you and I are creatures of habit. I made fun of several people tonight because they sit in the same spot. And at least I know when they're here and when they're not. Because we are creatures of habit. We are creatures... Because habit makes us feel in control and secure even though we're not. It's a false sense, but it is a sense that we have we're in control. The key to transformation is us doing what Christians are supposed to be doing over and over and over again until it becomes our habit. The Bible says about Jesus that he went to the synagogue as was his custom. What is that? That's a habit. I hope it's said of you and I when people ask, when our neighbors are asked, well, where's Lee today or where's Bill or whatever your name is, that the people say, what day is it? Well, it's Wednesday. He's at church. It's Sunday. They're at church. It was his custom. If you wanted to know where Jesus was, he was going to be in the synagogue. They knew that because he did it all the time. And a lot of people start out their Christian life with the right habit but because they don't maintain that habit over a long period of time, they forget that's what they are. How many times have you known people who were in church every time the doors were open and then they drifted? And because you already have habits, you can create new ones, but if you're not careful, the old ones will drag you back. And because they're familiar, they're easy to fall back into. So they start out in church every time the doors are open and they're looking for a life group every night. And the next thing you know, they're in church one Sunday a month. And then they become CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. <laughs> Transformation comes when we do a thing over and over and over and over again. Let me tell you something that will surprise you. 
Many of the habits we have, we think are physical. We call them addictions, like cigarettes. We think we can't stop cigarettes because we have an addiction. Do you know it's a proven fact that after 100 hours, that's four days and four hours, you no longer have the physical need for the cigarette. The reason you smoke the cigarette is because you have a habit. And your habit powers you to think, I have to have this. It's physical, and it's not physical. It's a synapsis connection. It's a habit. My dad quit smoking the day I asked when I could start, which was one of the greatest favors he ever did for me. I was about nine years old. My dad smoked Lucky Strikes as far as I can remember his whole life. And I said, Dad, when can I be old enough to smoke? He quit that day, cold turkey. But for years afterwards, after lunch or after dinner, he would do this. He would reach for his pocket. He didn't even have them, but he had to have it. After four days and four hours, 100 hours, you no longer have a nicotine addiction. You have a habit addiction. You think you have hunger pains. You do not have hunger pains. Hunger pains don't start until day four. What you have are habit pains. What you have is your body saying, ding, 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 it is time to eat. Feed me. And you think that growling is a hunger pain. It's not. It is your body going, feed me. You don't actually have hunger pains till day four. We are creatures of habit. Now, I want to give you some truths about habits before we move on. First off, habits are amoral. They are neither good nor bad. They are just the process by which our actions end up becoming our lifestyle. Let me say that again. Habits are neither good nor bad. They're just the process by which our actions become our lifestyle. Every person in here has habits. And I had somebody argue with me one time, and they said, I don't have any habits. And I said, then you have the habit of not having any habits. (laughs) I love being right. Somebody's got to be right, and might as well be me. Habits are, are amoral. You have good habits, you have bad habits. They're just the process by which something becomes something we do every day. You know, brushing your teeth is not natural. You don't come out of the womb wanting to brush your teeth when you have them. Somebody had to teach you to do what was not natural. But after you learned it, you've become getting in the habit of that, and before you know it, you don't even think about it. You reach for the tube, you either squeeze or roll. You put it on, and you're not even thinking. Your mind's already someplace else. Your mind is actually gone. Your brain has gone into neutral and reserving power for other things that you really need to be thinking about. And habits take over. You and I have hundreds, if not thousands, of habits every day. And they're not good or bad. They're amoral. It depends on on what that habit is. So the first truth is habits are amoral. They're a neurological synapsis rut, pathways in our brains. Second truth, habits are not all equal. Some habits have very little to do with your daily life. Others are amazingly important. Chewing gum might be your habit. Exercise might be your habit, but they're two different habits. 
one habit has the ability to do incredible things for your life, and the other one's just kind of here and there. If you stop chewing gum, the world isn't going to stop. Things aren't going to go south. You're not, exercise is a different deal. So not all habits are equal. And this is where it's important for you and I as Christians to know that there are habits God put in his word, disciplines that God put in his word. We heard the word from, from Jesse tonight about diligently seeking. Diligently means you're doing it on purpose over and over and over again. And it's key habits that create transformation. One of the key habits we have as Christians is called spiritual disciplines. They were called disciplines for a reason because they don't come to you by a wave of the wand. You have to do the thing. We are called Christians, disciplined followers of Christ. But what I see in the body of Christ is not as many disciplined followers, but a bunch of converts. And there's a vast difference in being a convert than being a disciplined follower. And because we have forgot to be the doer of these disciplines, we have forgot what kind of people we are. We no longer have the disciplines that we used to have in the early church. I'm not casting any stones at anybody. I'm really not. I'm just saying because we haven't been taught and because we haven't seen the disciplines and because we haven't been encouraged to do the disciplines, we have forgot who we are. For instance, the Bible says, in all things we're to give thanks. That's a spiritual discipline. You have to train yourself to be thankful in everything because if you don't train yourself and if you're not disciplined in it, You'll stop being thankful when things don't go your way. You'll stop being a person who's grateful for the small things. You know, being thankful can change your whole attitude and your whole outlook on life. And it's one of the disciplines I've tried to work in my life where every morning I get up and thank the Lord for at least three things. And before I go to bed at night, I thank the Lord for at least three things. And I try not to be thankful for the same thing, even though I'm thankful for my wife and I'm thankful for my kids. I want to be thankful for those things. But I want to be thankful for various things so I don't get in the habit of just naming three things and it becoming a rut. You know, all a rut is is a grave with the ends knocked out. We are to be a people. God says, this is God's will, that we would be thankful in all things. But that has to be a discipline you put in your life Or you will become a Christian who is only thankful when things go their way. And not having a gracious attitude, not having an attitude of gratitude affects how you see life. There are so many Christians who are mean. You know why they're mean? They forgot to be thankful. When you go to Walmart, even like now, Walmart is chaotic. You can get run over in the Walmart parking lot. You better bring the peace of God with you because it ain't there. (laughs) When I get to park up close, I'm grateful. Thank you, Lord, that I get to park up close. When I have to park in the back 40, I say, thank you, Lord, that I have the ability to walk from way back here to the... Having a grateful attitude is a discipline. It's why we don't see enough transformation because we want to snap our fingers We want to say shundala, shundala and change and wake up and just have an attitude of gratitude. Just 
the Lord dumped it in us. The miracle would be that you have the discipline to do what's right day in and day out. Thank you for your thunderous applause. I, I knew it was going to be one of those messages because we were inspired the Sunday I spoke. But now we're talking about transformation. When we find out what it is, it's like, oh, man. You sure there's not a pill I can take? You sure there's not a book I can read? We... No, no, no. It's doing the thing day in and day out, the mundane and the, when the weather's not right and when you're not feeling it. You know, you need to pray every day. We're a people of prayer. But you need to pray when you don't feel like it. Have you ever prayed and you didn't want to? And there was no feeling. You felt like your prayer didn't get any farther than the ceiling. No feeling the ceiling. A lot of people quit praying when it's no longer fun. But see, if you did that in your marriage, you wouldn't be married very long. I don't know. Can, can we be honest? Are there times when you talk to your spouse and like it was energetic, it was filled with power, it was exciting, it was like, wow. And then there are other times it's like talking to a rock. <laughs> we still talk. Okay, maybe that's, maybe that's too close for y'all. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Let me show you this. There are five things it takes for you and I to become spiritually mature. Now, there are a lot of things added to that, but there are five things it takes to be spiritually mature, and they're mentioned in Acts 2.42. Notice the phrasing. And they continued steadfastly. They were disciplined. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. The first thing that's mentioned that is a spiritual discipline is personal disciplines. If you're going to grow in maturity as a Christian, you need to read your Bible when nobody's looking. Amen. You know, a lot of people read their Bible, but it's only because the pastor said, turn to Acts chapter 2. We need to pray when nobody's looking. You know, can I just... <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do it. I don't even know why I'm going to ask. I don't mind people dancing at the front, but my question is, do you dance like that at home when nobody's looking? Why do you have to dance in the front? Why can't you dance in the back? <laughs> I don't care if you sound like a choo-choo train when you're here, as long as you sound like a choo-choo train when you're home and when nobody's looking. Personal disciplines. When you do it because it's the right thing. When you pray and pray and pray and you don't feel like it, but you pray because it's the right thing. When you pray and it doesn't feel like God's here, and when you pray and you're kind of sick to your stomach, would you pray anyway? Personal disciplines. They continued steadfastly. That's a personal discipline. Second thing it takes is the Word of God. And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. That's the Word of God. Do you know the average Christian knows the words or the majority of the words to at least 50 secular songs, but cannot quote five scriptures. Do you feel the weight of that? Let me just go through the five and then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of expound on them. It takes personal disciplines, takes the word of God, takes covenant relationships, takes serving, and then 
the one that has the most ability to change us, but we have the least control of, encounters with God, alter experiences. If the only scripture you know is take a little wine for your stomach's sake, your Christianity might need some help. We need to know the Word of God. If you're going to mature as a Christian, you need the discipline of reading God's Word when it's not fun. I've been through the Bible a couple times, and Leviticus always wears me out. It's like, are you kidding me? Is there any breath of life in this anywhere? And there is. But you have to be paying attention. And you need to read the Word when you don't feel like it. You need to read the Word when it doesn't make any sense. Because God has an amazing ability to take something you read that didn't mean anything at the time and bring it up at a time when you need it, and now it's the power to change your life. So we need the Word of God. That's a, that's a discipline we need in our lives. We need, it says they continue in fellowship. We need covenant relationships. Everybody needs somebody in here who loves them enough to speak the truth and love to them. Everybody in here needs somebody who's looking into their life hard enough that when they're doing something stupid, we'll call them on it. You need people in your life who look you square in the eye and go, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Quit that. That's not who you are. Covenant relationships. And can I say something? Relationships are difficult. Relationships are messy relationships are hard. You can spend 50 years building a great relationship and mess it up in five minutes. But it's important. They continued in fellowship. Steadfastly, day in and day out, they were in relationship. You need covenant relationships. And then it says in breaking of bread, and then later on we'll read, they did eat their meat from house to house. So it was talking about communion and then making meals. All the women here can tell you making a meal for company is work. It's serving. I heard the other day about a, about a, a grandma who sent out a letter to all her family that if they were going to come be a part of Thanksgiving dinner, they needed to send her $22. <laughs> because she had figured out, this is how much it's costing me, and everybody loved the meal, but it was costing her a mini fortune to cook for them. So when we cook a meal for somebody... It's not only costing us of our money and our time, it's serving. If you're going to grow in your Christian life, you need to be serving. Too many Christians come to church and it's all about what they can take instead of what they're giving. You know, you come to church not only to receive the Word of God, but you ought to come to offer something to others. An encouraging word. Maybe a word from the Lord. Maybe just showing up and being friendly. What a novel idea that the Church of Christ would be friendly. We all need serving opportunities. You all, everybody ought to work at the food bank at least one time. The ladies down and the men down at the food bank, they are incredible individuals. Because you're giving, yeah, go ahead, give it up for them. I've been down there and you're giving away peanut butter and then you get this one person who goes, do you have Jiff? I like Jiffy. I don't like that peanut butter. I got to, you know, stir I'm like, are you hungry? You think you got a good heart till people get an attitude like that, and it's like, I'm going to give you some peanut butter. 
We all need an opportunity to serve. You know why a lot of Christians are unhappy? Because it's all about getting instead of about serving. People think we're giving you opportunity to serve, and it's all about our need, but it's really about your need. Because if you're not serving, you're not growing. And then the last one is, and in prayer. Prayer is ultimately where you encounter God. Now, I don't know that we've ever said this here. I, I may have said it in other settings, but we here at Victory, in everything we do, our desire is for you to encounter God. Because we know God can do in 30 seconds what would take us three lifetimes and never accomplish. The worship team, they work hard. They're diligent about practice so that they can set an atmosphere that if you'll open up, you can encounter God. We're trying to create an environment in which encountering God is possible. Now, you can not engage, and it wouldn't do you any good any more than just listening to some secular song on the radio. It's just a beat. Boom, 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 boom. And it don't mean nothing to you. But if you're willing to engage, God can meet you there. I've seen people healed. I've seen marriages restored during worship because we're trying to create an environment in which encountering God is possible. My desire tonight is not to just preach a message. Not to, I hate it when people say, that was a great speech, Pastor. I'm not giving a speech. I'm trying to empower people to be transformed, to encounter God in a really powerful way. So those five things are what it takes, but we have to be disciplined in those. You have to continue in the Word of God when you don't want to, when you'd rather read Sports Afield or Cosmopolitan or something, whatever you read. Thank you for your thunder supply. I knew that was going to be the way. We need to be in God's Word when our flesh wants to watch I Love Lucy. Spiritual disciplines were the transformation key to the church in the New Testament. They continued steadfastly. How many times have you read, endure till the end? Continued therein. It's doing and doing and doing. In verse 46 it says, they continued daily in the synagogue and from house to house. You feel obligated upon, you feel we've encroached on you when we expect you to be here two times a week. They were in service or in each other's homes every single day. We have forgot what kind of people we are. It amazes me now, and I'm working on this in our life, that when we want to have somebody over for dinner or we want to invite somebody to go eat out or whatever, Sometimes it can take me as long as three months to have a time to get together with an individual in the church. We're too busy, saints. They met in the synagogue, in church, or in a home every day. They continued daily. We feel imposed upon when the pastor wants us to come to more than one service. We have forgot what manner of people we are. There's a power and benefit to habits or discipline, and that power is transformation. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book, and I don't know if this is a, an actual time, but the principle is correct. And what Malcolm said is that to become an expert at something, it takes about 10,000 hours 
to become an expert at any particular thing. And he talked about the Beatles, and he talked about other people and how many hours they put. And he he had this quote that it takes about 10,000 hours to be an expert at something. And then he broke it down. That's at least 20 hours a week for 10 years. I'm reminded of the guy that was watching a pianist play. And he said, man, I'd give my life to play like that. And the person next to him said, he did. Now, let me just give you some practical examples from the Word of God. How many of you love King David? I want you to think about something. The Bible says about David that he could play skillfully as a musician. That Saul was in torment, and his eldership said to him, let us go find somebody who can play skillfully, and when he plays, you'll be delivered from that tormenting spirit. And they said, we have seen a man. And they brought David to him. And when David played, he was the spirit, that tormenting spirit left him, and he was at peace because he could play skillfully. How many hours does it take to play skillfully? About 10,000. Thank you. I can play a guitar. can't play near as good as I used to because I drilled a hole in my arm and this finger doesn't work like it used to. But I listen to these guys play. They have spent thousands and thousands of hours playing when nobody was paying attention. At their house, listening to the song, making sure they got the beat right, making sure they do that run right. You you listen to Roger play? He, He didn't learn to play in seven days. I don't care what book you read. Learn to play the guitar in seven days. Listen, I can teach you to play the guitar in two minutes. Because if you just put one finger on a note and hit it, you're playing. But you ain't playing skillfully. My parents loved the fact that my room was way away from the rest of the house when I was learning to play the guitar. Because it took me a lot of hours to play skillfully. Let me ask you, how many hours do you think it took for David to be able to throw that sling and throw that rock where it would hit, right where it needed to hit? You don't get good. I shoot a bow. You don't shoot a target and hit it every time in in a couple hours. You're going to get skilled. It takes thousands and thousands of hours when nobody cares. When you're missing and having to go find your arrows. I, I would come home at night and it'd be dark and late. I would turn the lights on in my car and shoot in the dark. Because I love shooting and I wanted to get good at it. You don't become skillful at throwing in 100 hours. Thousands and thousands of hours. But here's the thing that got me. How long do you think it took David to be brave? I mean, he's facing a giant and his older brothers are scared out of their boots. He shows up. Goliath is throwing out threatenings. Just send me a man. If he wins, we'll be your servants. If we win, you'll be our servants. This is a giant of a man, over nine foot tall. And David shows up and says, who is this guy? Mouthing off like that, running his mouth. And his brothers say to him, you just came to see the war. You're a naughty kid. But there wasn't any war because they were cowards. They're all shaking in their boots. David said, I'll go take him. How many hours do you think it took to be brave like that? You know, they made fun of him tending those few sheep. But have you ever stayed out at night by yourself as a young person and all the noises? You think the forest is quiet, you try to spend the night in one. 
You, you think the church is quiet? Just spend the night in the church. It's creaking and moving. It's like, what is going on? How much bravery does it take to attack a lion or a bear and kill him with your bare hands? Thousands of hours overcoming fear. Tonight I was so blessed at the songs because it's like, I'm not going to be afraid. But we're afraid. How do you not be afraid? You do the right thing over and over and over and over again. You stand up. How, how do you overcome rejection? You get rejected till it no longer hurts. Thousands and thousands of hours. James 124 again, it says, don't forget. Be a doer of the word, lest you forget what manner of man you are. Can I tell you some things that we have forgotten who we are? We are a people of Sabbath. A 24-hour period that we gave to God and trusted he would supply all of our needs. We have traded a 24-hour period where God said, take the whole 24 hours and enjoy your time with me. The best way to understand Sabbath is if you've ever been snowed in to a place where you knew there was no way to get out. You knew all the stores are going to be shut down. Your business is going to be shut down. You, when you have, I lived in Michigan. When we had a snow day, it was awesome. There was no school. There were no obligations. So that whole day that we had off for two days, we got to do what we wanted. That's what Sabbath is supposed to be like. And we've traded that for an hour and a half event that we call church. We have forgot what manner of people we are. And I love the fact that our leadership is looking intently and trying to work into our culture a Sabbath rest, not only for our leadership, but for y'all to be paying attention. That's the kind of people we are. But we have forgot why we don't have the discipline anymore. Somewhere along the line, we let the world tell us you have to work on that day. We let the world tell us you need to work all the time. And we forgot we used to do that before we were set free. You know what kind of people we are? We are a people of prayer. You know, one of the best ways to empty a church is to say, we're going to start teaching on prayer. And we're going to come every Wednesday and we're going to pray. You'd have about 10 people inside of a month. You know why? It's discipline. We want to pray when we feel like it. The kingdom of God is set up exactly opposite of the world. You do what's right and the feelings will catch up. Okay? I'm going to be very honest. Done it before. Do it again. I don't like buying this woman flowers. I buy flowers. I think to myself, there's a box of shells out the window. I think to myself, there's a fishing lure out the window. I'm going to buy these flowers. They're going to last about four days. And then they're going to die. And then we're going to have this ugly green vase that comes with it. That we don't know what we're going to do with it. So we stick it underneath the sink where the rest of the ugly green vases go. (laughs) But I buy her flowers. Ask her. And I don't do it when I'm in the doghouse or only when it's our anniversary. I buy flowers all the time. You know why I buy flowers? 
because she likes flowers. We're, and when I buy her flowers, the whole time thinking, I don't like this, I don't like this, she gets this look on her face. It's like Christmas. And she puts that flowers on the kitchen table where anybody who comes into our house can see them. And I think to myself, oh, yeah. <laughs> My feelings catch up with me doing the right thing. We're waiting to feel like praying instead of praying, and then you'll feel like it. Amen. We wait till we feel like getting in the Word, but if you get in the Word, you'll feel like it. We wait until we, well, I'll work Sabbath in sometime when I can, when I'm 90 years old. No, no, no. Do Sabbath now, and then you'll feel like it. I'm already listening to some of our staff who's begin to implement Sabbath, and their lives are being transformed by it. You know why? Because it's biblical. And because they're doing it on a regular basis, they're already feeling it flow throughout their family. The, the week goes better. They're thinking clear. They're more at peace. God knew what he was talking about. We've just forgot what manner of man we are. The key to transformation is discipline. Doing the right thing over and over and over again. We all like the scripture that we're going to fly like eagles. We're going to run and not get weary. But you know what most Christians want and really need is to walk and not faint. We need to learn how to enjoy the presence of God when we're doing the dishes every single day. When we're doing laundry every single day. We need to realize that if we'll do the right thing, the discipline of it, the habit of it, the diligently seeking, the enduring till the end, that if we'll get into those habits, they have the power to transform our entire life. Do you know they've proven that people who, who exercise without anyone telling them anything stop drinking as much, stop smoking as much, stop eating as much, because the byproduct of doing that one key habit has affected other areas of their life. When we as Christians do what God called us to do, the disciplines of Christianity, it affects our entire life. It has the power to transform. Amen. Amen.